Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, talking about Manchester derby, Crystal Palace for Europe, are you for real? And Mourinho commended by the WHO for continually washing his hands of his players at every opportunity. Midweek, there's Champions League fun. Spurs in for a bumpy trip to Leipzig, what with all the players they'll be driving over. And Liverpool looking for the comeback against Atletico Madrid. Will Alisson be a big miss, like back in the zoo? We'll be discussing all that in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, thanks for joining us. A brand new week and a brand new weekend of football to have a chat about. A chat we'll be having with Michael Cox of The Athletic. Hi, James. Daniel Story of The Eye. Hello, James. Hi, Daniel. And and also uh, Matt Davis-Adams of lots of places, Matt. Hiya. All right. It was a good weekend for Scottish midfielders. It was a good weekend for one of you guys. The two of you, I don't think, were quite so whelmed by the quality of the, the football. Is that fair, Michael? I thought the Manchester derby we've just watched was a very poor quality game. It's true. It is Sunday evening. We have literally just finished. We've just switched off with a modicum of disgust the uh, the game at Old Trafford. It was a game, though, Daniel, that was saved by two really wonderful goals. Yeah, and it was it was won by the team that wanted it more, very obviously wanted it more, and had enough quality eventually just about to make that count. City were, they are frustrating to the point of anger when you watch them play like that to me because there are so many good individuals and what should be good combinations on the pitch and they just frustrate you so much because they sometimes when you watch Manchester United under Solskjaer you think what have you been doing in training all week when you watch Manchester City play like that you think Pep's a great coach what have you been doing all week that's led to this performance in this game well there are there are factors that may play a role in 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 their performance today one could be UEFA's judgment that is to an extent, robbed them of some of their motivation, perhaps. The absence of Kevin De Bruyne, the fact that Liverpool are so far ahead that any points they get from these fixtures is academic. Yeah, maybe, but you become a footballer by having an an inordinate amount of competitive edge because you Mm. need it to get through academy systems, to get through trial systems, to get through club systems, to get to the top. If you are put off because a team is too far ahead of you to catch them and that means you stop playing, that isn't good enough. That means you shouldn't be where you are. I don't buy into that, oh, they didn't really care. It looked like they didn't care, which I think is representing a lack of quality, but it's so frustrating to watch. And and that sort of lethargy or ambivalence toward the rest of their Premier League season might be understandable in every other game bar this one, but when they've got not much to play for in the Premier League, you know, this is essentially the biggest fixture that they've got left in the league between now and the end of the season. So it's one thing to think, well, Norwich at home when, you know, we can't get in the Champions League and we're not going to win the league, we're not that up for this. But mm. Derby at Old Trafford when, as I say, that's that's it now for your Premier League season. Was it that they didn't care? Was it that Man United are just too strong now, Michael? Ten games unbeaten in all competitions, only two goals conceded in that run. Yeah, they have got a good record in these big games. I mean, uh, I don't think it was a surprise that they switched to five at the back, which is a system they played well in those bigger games. They play on the, the counter-attack and they do it very well. Uh, Bruno Fernandes obviously has given them something different. Maybe wasn't at uh, you know wasn't the most influential player in, in open play, but obviously got the assist for the first goal. Yeah, they look a well-drilled side, but I thought City were just so predictable. So predictable in possession. They didn't have enough threat going in behind, really. I thought, you know, without David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, they, they didn't really threaten with with passes in behind Sterling you know was was completely uh, dominated by Wan-Bissaka who just never seems to 
you know, lose a one against one duel. So, yeah, I mean, I thought City were really poor. I, yeah. I agree with Daniel, actually. Like, I'm not a Manchester City fan, but it was actually making me annoyed watching some of their players and the, the constant mistakes in possession. Phil Foden, was this a big audition for him in terms of it being a rare Premier League start? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, he was very good in the cup final last weekend. Very quiet here. I think that's natural when you're, you know, a youngster and and maybe not used to a regular run of games. So it wasn't his best game, but, uh, you know, Mahrez wasn't that much better when he came on. It's interesting to see him picked on kind of, I know he didn't stay there, but on the, basically on the right of that front three or on the right wing. I never thought that was going to be his position. I always thought he would play one of those midfield roles and that's what David Silva did so well and he's been touted as the successor it's all very well giving players minutes but if you kind of pick them out of position and against a tough opponent it seems like a little bit of a hospital pass for someone like Foden well a 2-0 win for Man United could have been more had Fred been given that penalty which they looked a fair shout for the first goal scored by Anthony Martial whose performance at least you were enjoying uh, Michael from a a lovely dinked free kick and then a wonderful uh, second goal at the death from Scott McTominay yeah but there's obviously a caveat with with both goals in that the first one came from a free kick which probably shouldn't have been awarded and the second one came from an Edison assist so it wasn't like it was a hugely convincing win from United even though they were playing quite meek opposition in the game but um, they probably just about won it but yeah that McTominay goal was lovely The fact that he bent it around the defender on the way into the net as well. Um, yeah, ball doesn't bounce before it hits the net. That's always bonus points too. Mm. Lovely. And Martial was very good, you know, not just his goal, but I thought his all-round game has, has come on a lot this year. I think he's better with his back to goal. There was one one point where he shrugged off Otamendi to an aerial ball. I thought he was just, yeah, excellent. Probably the only, well, definitely the only attacking player on the pitch, really, who can be pleased with his afternoon's work. I, I take your points about the Man City's latitude, but Man United presumably have a role in making City look that bad today? Uh, I think, as I say, I think I'm not trying to take any credit away from them, but I think that they did what they had to do, which was be better than, as as Matt says, meek opposition. Right now, that's plenty enough, especially against a team like Manchester City. The result is king for United at the moment. If they want to get back into the top four or potentially top five, um, all they need to do is carry on winning and they won't, you know, Solskjaer won't care one jot about the style right at the moment because to be honest Bruno Fernandes is kind of or has been kind of looking after that himself he's been dictating the tempo and the resilience is the new thing the the ability to grind out those results is the new thing mm. and Solskjaer deserves credit not, not only for the fact that he's got this great record against Pep but the kind of palpable quality of, of where he is obviously good at, as a coach is with the forwards you can see you could see that with Rashford before he got injured with Marcel at the moment and with Mason Greenwood who's who's done well for a teenager in his first season in the Premier League whenever he's appeared so you know the kind of stick to beat Solskjaer with was that it was all about nostalgia and, and sort of up and at mentality but actually there is some sort of physical evidence of, of coaching that he's done effectively which has been taken into games. There you go. Next up for Man United a trip to Lask on Thursday in the Europa League that's Linz in Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man City meanwhile the day before Wednesday will host Arsenal in the Premier League. City have lost more games than Arsenal in the Premier League this season. I find that remarkable. Yeah, Arsenal have just drawn a lot. That, that's, that's why. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it adds up, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> this is the Arteta derby, of course. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that would be uh, yeah interesting to see 
the dynamic there. Obviously, he knows City inside out. I think a lot of his uh, work at City was looking at the opposition. Um, you know, that was the, the kind of the role he had on the coaching staff. So he'll he'll be looking at the opposition being City and, and looking for some weaknesses. And, and I think we'll find weaknesses in that defence. I mean, that back four today, Zinchenko, <laughs> Daniel mentioned that Zinchenko wasn't having a great game about 25 minutes in. I just couldn't stop noticing it. But I mean, Otamendi gives you chances. Fernandinho, I, I like the way he plays, but against certain types of striker, I don't think he's particularly good. And, and Cancelo hasn't, done much to convince me this season Edison two areas as well so you mean it's bizarre we're talking about City who was so good last two seasons but all over the place in that defence mm. you're, you're looking you know we can get in there for, for a manager who uh, you know the way they play and the system of play should be now completely ingrained in them every time a Manchester City defender got the ball it looked like they were surprised that they had the ball at the feet like the one thing about City is they've always had options on the ball and it didn't even look like they had they didn't know what their option next option was which is Pretty worrying, I think, for for Guardiola because he's not going to be able to buy a whole defence this summer. I know that probably isn't his first choice defence, and he will get Laporte back, and he'll would like Mendy back. But a lot of those players have played a, a lot of games in the title victories in the last two seasons. Makes you wonder how influential Arteta actually was, because mm. you know since his departure seems to correlate with their. Are you suggesting he off. might be the Yugi Love to Pep's Klinsmann? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but um, certainly he's been missed. I think. Right. Well, there'll be the reunion on Wednesday. Arsenal coming off a 1-0 win over West Ham. Alexander Lacazette with the goal, uh, which at first wasn't given, but then awarded through VAR. Uh, West Ham, the better team, though. I think a lot of the stats seem to indicate in this game. Was that fair? They had a lot of good chances to win it, but there's a lot of talk about you know West Ham being the better team in games at the moment yeah. against Liverpool the other week as well. But they've taken four points from six games. They haven't kept a clean sheet. Since New Year's Day, they score a fair amount of goals, but they've just not got a good enough defence. And, and actually for saying that, it was at the other end where they, they faltered in this game. Antonio and, and Alain between them. Missing chances that should have been taken. Um, they've got enough to stumble over the line, West Ham, I think, but um, they're not a good team. Remarkably, Arsenal haven't won a Premier League game outside of London since the opening weekend of the season. This game very much in Manchester. What are your thoughts? Is this where Arsenal's nascent European challenge comes to an end? Uh, maybe, but I think this is a free shot for Arsenal now. They are unbeaten in seven. It's the, uh, sorry, unbeaten in eight, I think. Mm. That's the longest unbeaten run in the top two divisions. So they are in, if not wild, rampant form. They are certainly maintaining and retaining some belief. And I think they should see it as a free shot. I really do, because nobody expects them to take anything. We, we're used to Arsenal sort of surrendering in these games. And it's a chance for Arteta to say, look, let's change that record. Let's try and look different in these matches. Is Arteta going to change the record, do you think, on Wednesday, Michael? I think they'll give City a good game, yeah. Um, I I mean, I didn't think Arsenal were very impressive in this game. Like you say, West Ham were the better side. But, uh, you know, with those, the speed of their forwards, I think, you know, against City's high line and Edison, you know, is is renowned as a bit of a sweeper, but is not making good decisions at the moment. So, yeah, I think Arsenal will give them a good game. Okay, what's coming up on Wednesday? Uh, Arsenal with a game in hand, five points off the Champions League positions at the moment. So, it's kind of on. By the way, if City do lose that game and then at home to Burnley on Saturday... That means that Liverpool will be champions without kicking a ball. That'd be underwhelming, wouldn't it? Well, probably not for. No, it wouldn't. But but for the rest of us, probably the most incredible title ever won. Yeah, Yeah, well, quite, quite. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, all right, okay. Well, uh, let's have a quick palate cleanser, and then we'll be back with the other game on Sunday—a pretty convincing Chelsea with a four-nil win over Everton. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right, Chelsea 4, Everton nil, if anything. (laughs) Um, Matt, you were there and Daniel, you were too. Daniel, you've actually come down with the fever that's sweeping the nation. Yeah, indeed. I'm talking about Billy Gilmore fever. Yes, that's right. Well clarified. Thank you. Um, yeah, he... It isn't just that he uh, is a very good footballer and that's been said by a lot of people and that's why Barcelona and Bayern Munich has scouted him. It's the fact that he, he's got such a composure on the ball. He demands the ball off, you know, high-caliber players. And I think he gave the ball away three times in the game. He he plays the safe passes when they're needed. He also quickens it up when it's needed. He played one little through sort of reverse pass through three Everton midfielders that genuinely made the shed end sort of ooh and ah. And yeah, they love him, and you can see why. My favourite tweet here was uh, Adam Hurry who uh, put uh, speed brackets 1994, but with Billy Gilmore's pass completion dropping below 90, percent which is a fabulous, fabulous thought. It's it's all the more extraordinary, you know. When you, I, I interviewed him after he came off the bench in the FA Cup at Hull in January, I interviewed him post match, and you're just looking at a child. You know, he really is a tiny, diminutive little fella, and you think there's no way that this slight young man can boss a game in the way that he has done this week. I mean, Fabinho probably still having nightmares about right, yeah. playing against Billy Gilmore. And Sunday was a different kind of challenge for him um, against the most ponderous, slow, <laughs> dreadful set of midfielders I've ever seen in a Premier League game. Um, but yeah, his numbers were, were fantastic. Bucolic Field tweeting, uh, as a neutral, I'm really impressed by him. He has the decision-making and intelligence for someone who's played 300 league games. How long has he been kind of bubbling under at uh, at Cobham. Well, interestingly, uh, Frank Lampard did his coaching badges with the Chelsea under-18s a few years ago when Jody Morris was in charge of them, obviously. He's, he's number two now, and, and um, Gilmore was in the under-18s then. And Chelsea TV did a feature whereby they got the under-18s players to try and recreate that Gianfranco Zola goal against oh, Norwich, yeah. you know, where he kind of backheel volleys it in at the near post. And nobody could do it except for, for Billy Gilmore, including Frank Lampard, who had a couple of goes at it. And obviously that's a very minor thing, but it's the kind of thing that you think, hmm, he probably thought this kid's got something then. And then when he came back, he he um, used him, first of all, in the League Cup. And then he got a lot of stick, Lampard and Gilmore, actually, at the start of the season when Chelsea played Sheffield United at Stamford Bridge and drew. And Chelsea were going for a winner and he brought Gilmore on and to, to almost uproar from a lot of the Chelsea supporters. Who's this kid? Why is he coming on? He looks about six stone ringing wet and as if he's just finished his paper round. And on he came and was good in that game and has been excellent ever since. But it's, I think I counted, that's the seventh academy debutant that Chelsea have played this season. Wow. Um, which is extraordinary, really. Without wanting to crowbar Mourinho stick into this section of the show, it's amazing what difference a player like Gilmore makes to a, a side with an injury crisis. Because... Basically, Chelsea were without their first choice front six today. They had no Kante, no Kovacic, no Jorginho, no Hudson Odoi, no Pulisic, no Abraham, which arguably next season could be the front six. But by picking someone like Gilmore and him playing so well, it completely changes that narrative, doesn't it? It flips it on his head, and actually, everyone leaving Stamford Bridge goes, I can't wait for him to play more. I want him to play more and more and more, which he just wouldn't have got that chance without the injuries, and, and rightly so, because you can't afford to take those risks. Mm, we ought to spend some time on how bad Everton were in this game. <laughs> just, just to say, I mean, you'd flagged up the fact that it could be a really good week for Chelsea before the game, and this 
on the back of the Liverpool game. But this is another measure of it's, it's another level of performance. It felt like the best Chelsea we've seen so far under Lampard, especially given how many absences there were. Yeah, yes. all the things that have been an issue before the finishing, the not not seeing a, a game through. That none of that happened. Yeah, this that's time. right. I had comfortably the worst xG conversion ratio. I think is the right wording for it of, of any home team in the Premier League this season before today. Um, almost as big. Kepa's come back and kept two clean sheets in as many games and actually had saves to make. You know, he made five saves against against Liverpool. Um, so that's important. So Chelsea have only kept nine clean sheets in 42 games in all competitions and two of them have come in the space of a week. So yeah, there's, with those players out who Daniel mentioned, there's a couple more as well who are on the sidelines. It's It's been an excellent week for them. I mean, for all the talk of the Chelsea youngsters, the, the front three today is the, the most cohesive I've seen Chelsea look for a while. And Giroud, Pedro, Willian, 31, 32, 33, all three uh, have their contracts up in the summer. Mm. Giroud, I think, did an interview yesterday or the day before saying he did everything he could to leave in January. So it's a slight contradiction there. I mean, you know, as Daniel says, I think there'll be a radically different front line next season. But uh, I thought they played really well today. Giroud's just... He's he's the best player in the world at like being Olivier Giroud. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know that doesn't make sense, but like there's no one who's so good at coming towards play. Those little one touches from rushing players. I thought the 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 move for the second goal, uh, the Pedro goal, was just like what sensational. Was his move on the Pedro goal. So just did you know just came towards play, got the ball between the lines, just touched it to Barkley and Barkley whipped it in behind the defences. Right. Really simple little thing, but Giroud spent the best part of 10 years just doing that and making other players play better. And uh, I just, I, I kind of love Giroud. I just love watching him. Yeah, I was so wrong about Giroud. I remember Tom and I having a discussion on the pod a few months back about and me saying, oh, you know, come on, he's not uh, he's not the reason why Chelsea aren't winning, but mm. he's the first name on he's, the team sheet. You've yeah, always had a, Bournemouth, Matt. That's true, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. ahead of, he's legitimately ahead of Abraham, I imagine now that that mm. that injury has actually come at a semi-handy time for for Lampard in that it enables him to keep picking Giroud which he absolutely should do without feeling the heat of leaving Abraham out of the team alright they can't play this Everton every week though and uh, the Toffees who embarrassed Angelotti on his big return to Stamford Bridge with the joint biggest defeat of his career mm. he also had a 4-0 against Atletico Madrid in, in the derby when he was at Real I, I honestly, uh, you might disagree. I think Jordan Pickford was their best player. Yeah, he certainly wasn't at fault for any of the goals, <laughs> no. I didn't think. And uh, you felt for him uh, yeah. as, as the game went so, on. So, given how uh, the arrival of uh, Duncan Ferguson and, and, and then Ancelotti had restored Everton into a proper kind of middleweight Premier League side, combative. Mm. always in fixtures and that. What, what happened this time? Was it Seamus Coleman being out? What? The, well, I didn't know because Saliba was probably the worst player. Who was the best player when the teams played at Goodison in December? He was Sadibi. actually... Yeah, he, he was great in that game. In this game, he looked like a clown running through a minefield. It was bizarre to watch him kind of... It was one moment in front of Ancelotti after he'd given the ball away 10 times in the first half. It rolled onto his foot just in front of the dugouts and literally just bounced over his foot. And, you know, Ancelotti is... Quite this mild-mannered chap just flung his arms out in frustration. To, you know, who is this goof and what is he doing? But... <laughs> it's, a, it's a remarkable image, Matt, because uh, clowns presumably with the especially outsized footwear. Yeah. That's the Damage, that's yeah, the point, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And, nothing worse. Uh, exactly. But yeah. I, I almost feel like it, that's not as bad. Sadibi had a bad game, Maybe and that a can scuba happen to diver, actually. Yeah, skis. You've got yeah, and the face skis. mask, yeah. skier. 
Yeah, face mask is the X factor, I suppose, as well. But yeah, Sidibe was bad, but players have bad games. But people like Gilfie Sigurdsson, who right. it was it was sad to watch him. Somebody who's been a you know legitimate, excellent Premier League player at points in his time, and he was so far off the pace, it was embarrassing. He, he, the game completely passed him by. I had to double check my notes that he's at two years younger than Pedro because hmm. Pedro was zipping about, you know, like it was the first game of his career, and yeah. Sigurdsson looked like he wanted to be anywhere else and. The rest of the Everton midfield, you know, Tom Davis, I'm not convinced by him at all. Yeah. I when mean, he hasn't progressed, I was looking up Tom Davis. I mean, he's played nearly 100 games in the Premier League. He's played more games than like, you know, Harry Winks or someone like that. And, and we still think of him as a bit of a youngster, but I thought he was just bypassed so often today. And it, he was he was a player they really needed to play well because he brings the energy that they just don't have anywhere else in the midfield zone. You know, Gomez, I think we can give a bit of a free pass to after missing so long. But I, yeah, I agree with you about Davis. I've been quite disappointed by his lack of progress. Ross Barkley, anyone to give a, a bit of a shout out to Ross Barkley? Forgotten Man, Stamford Bridge. He played well, but, he, <laughs> but he also played dismally against Bayern Munich. And that was the level that Ross Barkley demanded to be judged at. And I don't think he's good enough for that level. I think he's a good Premier League midfielder. But I mean, he should be now legitimately behind Billy Gilmore, I think, in the queue. So... If you're already missing three central midfielders, then I don't see him starting regularly at Chelsea next season. There's a lot of a lot of players who are I'd call confidence players, and Barkley's definitely one of those. If his first touch in the game is good, he can have a good game. Mm. If he doesn't get involved in the opening 10-15 minutes, you don't see him at all. But he's had a great week. I mean, he was desperate to score in this game. Desperate. He was shooting from everywhere. It was quite funny. Um, obviously, got that brilliant goal against Liverpool. But yeah, he's as Daniel says. I think if everybody's fit, he's probably not in the first. First choice team, but then he looks nailed on for the Euro squad, which is odd. Right, well, that was Sunday's action. Next up, we're looking forward to those Champions League midweek fixtures. Woof. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent, and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews, and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since the Bee Gees. Ha, 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 ha. From the Horse's Mouth. From the horse's mouth, huh? Huh? Yeah. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. That's right, listener, we're rubbing our hands together like they had anti-back gel on them. For the return of the Champions League this midweek, Tuesday and Wednesday... And then, of course, Europa League on Thursday. You've got Valencia taking on Atalanta. The Bergamaschi 4-1 up from the first game at San Siro. Paris Saint-Germain, their return leg against Borussia Dortmund, uh, who won the first game 2-1 in Dortmund. Of course, you've also got two Premier League sides who are trying to recover from 1-0 deficits from the first leg. Liverpool, who host Atletico Madrid. And Tuesday's clash of Spurs at Leipzig. Leipzig only drew 0-0 at Wolfsburg this weekend. So it's the second uh, draw in a row. The title push is faltering a little bit, but their Champions League challenge looks pretty good after that 1-0 win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium three weeks ago. What do you think of Spurs' prospects? No, Daniel's making faces. I I, I really don't. Probably the big off-field narrative or story of the weekend was was Jose Mourinho's, uh, I think we can call it a lambasting of... Tango and Dombele. Um, he never actually named the player he was talking about, but you're confident. Well, he it did was. say record signing, which yeah. rather gives a game away. Um, <laughs> and he said all the players it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, which is very 
Very Mourinho. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, Ndombele is not should not be free from criticism. I think his right. fitness level does look poor, and that's odd. Um, and it should be said that Leon fans said if there is an issue with him, it's that maybe he takes a long time to get back to fitness after injuries and stuff. But I don't see how lambasting him in public is going to help. But if you know if that's the best way you think he you know he will react to that, then great. But with a must-win game in Europe this week, you you basically can't pick him now if you're saying he's not fit. So, I don't know. It just seems a very odd move. It, Mourinho does this a lot, quite often with Ndombele. I mean, he's done it three or four yeah. times with him this season, but a variety of other players as well. Eric Dyer, Luke Shaw. Deli Alley, of course, recently. When, But I was wondering about this. People say it doesn't help. Other managers don't do it. Is this to do with the fact that Mourinho was never a player himself, do you think? I, I, think don't, think, I don't think so. I think it's just I think it's a, a part of his managerial makeup I think it's mm. part of his personality I think he he likes to do that he feels it's he, he might feel that it's a way of energising the squad to try and help Ndombele be better I right. don't think it necessarily always comes from a negative point but, but pretty much all other managers who pretty much all have been footballers don't think it's going to help players and I, I just it just mm. crossed my mind that maybe it's you know had, had he been on, on you know on the end Wrong end of some managerial criticism. He, he might have changed his mind. Anyway, uh, he warmed up uh, his Spurs team for the trip to Leipzig by testing out a bold new five centre halves formation away at Burnley uh, for a one-one draw. A valuable point for someone. Game of two halves. A game of two halves. Certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, Burnley let Spurs back into the game with a ridiculous challenge from. Ben Mee, which started 20 yards away from where he actually made contact with the player to concede the penalty, but Burnley the should... commentator say that's a poor challenge from me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The job does have some perks, and that's that's one of them. <laughs> uh, but Burnley should have been out of sight, really, by, by half-time. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, it, it just all comes back to Mourinho for me, and it comes back to when, when we did the, the special pod when he was appointed, and I, I sort of wondered whether he was in tune with modern footballers. And you think, you know, back 2004 to 2007, players at Porto and Chelsea maybe like being shouted at and, hey, you know, we're all men, this is how men act. Well, it's 2020 and the world's a different place now and people don't want to be treated like that. They don't respond to it. So his job is to evolve with that and and learn how to deal with these sort of 20 to 25-year-old millionaire footballers who don't want some bloke shouting at them and telling the whole world that he thinks they're useless at their job. Mm. Spurs, we all know, without Kane and Son. But as you point out, Daniel, the area of the pitch where they look least organised is actually at the other end, the defence, where they don't have any injuries. Yeah, and they I mean, they, they look better after half-time, I think. They, the, the, the five central defenders... When he made defenders, his changes, yeah, when he'd taken up Ndembele. Yeah. And, and Dyer skipped. actually looked pretty good in central midfield, although yeah. I, don't, I don't know if he's a perfect fit anywhere um, but yeah that's not good enough I mean Manchester United if you were going to choose their two most important players at the start of the season you'd probably have said Rashford and Pogba they've been injured for most of the season Chelsea as we've already said are without potentially a whole front six it isn't good enough just to say oh we're missing these players you know City have been without Laporte and Sané and Aguero's been in and out it's not good you can't just say oh we haven't got the players so sorry I think what did he say he said if the opposition scores first then we won't win games it's not <laughs> In the first half, we didn't have a midfield. I didn't see that one about if they score first. That's quite. That was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Chelsea, I think. Yeah, he also said, as GTR63 points out, that he couldn't focus on both Burnley and Leipzig. So presumably having drawn at Burnley, he's pinning everything on the win away in Germany. 
I guess so. I, I I thought that was a relatively interesting thing to say. I mean, I assume he means because they play such different styles of football that you need to play two completely different ways. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got that comment, but most of what he's coming up with is is incredible. And it's it's not just the results. It just now seems like the mood at Tottenham has just transformed so much. And you've just had like, you know, all these little comments come up, people seemingly, you know, complain about the new stadium and stuff which you know this time last year we were saying wow what an incredible stadium this is they've adapted so well but it's just you know so much doom and gloom Spurs there. fans because I heard Duncan having a go at it on, here on Thursday but are, are Spurs fans having a go at the stadium? Well there have been some some grumblings have there? Yeah, yeah. You should have put the fromagerie in that would have uh, changed <laughs> yeah. things Yeah the cheese room mm, cheese Right room. The, But the, the way it, and we know this always happens but the way that that fan base has already become so extremist in the pro or anti Mourinho camps the way he does that that in itself cannot be healthy to have automatically the pro and it's it's worth giving it a quick airing yes. the pro view is but Spurs were this bad performer in you arrived and that yeah. was with Kane and Son yeah and with them next season they could be better but there are already rumours that uh, Kane may choose to leave this summer they, they have had Kane and Son for games together. They have had Kane and or Son for games together and looked poor. And it doesn't explain the defensive disorganisation. It doesn't define the fact that they keep changing formations. or, And it doesn't define why Mourinho says, for example, we haven't got a midfield and we mm. can't score if the opposition score. That's not good enough. Mm. And I want the season to be over and start next season when you're still in three competitions. Well, Just I think we could all get on board with that. No? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Liverpool. As I mentioned, they're also in Champions League action this midweek. At home to Atletico Madrid, who hold a precious one-goal lead from the game at the Wanda Metropolitano. Michael, what are your thoughts? I think it'll be quite tough for Liverpool, actually. Atletico is so good defensively. Um, I guess the one caveat is, you know, it's the, it's, the type of, it's the type of game where people mockingly make references to, like, old famous European night at Anfield, and then they do actually pull out something extraordinary from the bag. Well, they do have this incredible record, and, and, and Bournemouth was... Another example of that, what was it, 22nd straight victory at home in the Premier League. But the last Champions League appearance they made at Anfield, they actually drew 1-1 with a well-organised Napoli side. So, you know, I mean, a 1-1 scoreline this week would be disastrous. Yeah, I just, it, it kind of it was a very obvious thing to say when they're, they're trying to overturn a 1-0, but that early, early goal will be absolutely massive. If they can score in the first, like the Barcelona game, if they can score in the first 30 minutes, then the whole the whole picture of the tie changes because then Atletico are just holding on to stay in the tie they're not holding on to win it and if they then have to push forward again that's what they've struggled to do under Simeone this season so yeah just holding out for long as they can and also Roberto Firmino may be taking a chance because he missed another golden one on Saturday he's gone 53 shots at Anfield this season without scoring which is a lot for a striker of his quality. Mm. And, and and what about the absence of Allison? Yeah, I think that's the big thing for me. The defences look really ropey. I mean, um, obviously it wasn't a first-choice side they, they played when I saw them at, at Stamford Bridge the other week. And, and though Adrian conceded a poor goal in that game, it's more the impact on the defenders in front of him in terms of trying to play out from the back and kind of dilly-dallying and, and getting it wrong. And, you know, in, in the Bournemouth game, that... The goal that Bournemouth scored should have been disallowed, obviously, but it was notable should it, that. Should it? Oh, so this is yeah, Callum yeah. Wilson running back and he shoves Joe just, Gomez. Just, just pushing somebody just, over and carrying on with the game. Push. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. is what is VR doing if it's not disallowing that? It, I thought it was obvious on on first glance. And yeah, yeah. I mean, Daniel made a good point when we were chatting about it before. I mean, I won't steal your point. Oh, no, but, yeah, but I mean that that's the the problem we have is that the referee thinks well. 
that might probably push maybe whatever i'll leave it for var to look at and var decides it can't look at it to overturn it but because it's something not like clear that. and obvious i think yeah but, it, right. but again if, if gomez if gomez goes down there he get he definitely gets a free kick the fact that he stays on his feet means that var should go well we've given him the benefit of the doubt for staying on his feet but it is clearly a foul it's right. obviously a foul for all of that was the bigger problem how casual liverpool looked even after wilson had continued playing on and and, and the cross had the ball to come back across a little bit it was an unusual situation I thought because it was you know quite a direct attack and then suddenly Bournemouth had their two central midfielders creating o- overload but down the right not just that through the game as a whole did, oh, through the game okay yeah did you not feel that Liverpool looked to, like their heads weren't quite as focused as they had been say a month ago despite James Milner's pre-match well, that was talk, which got so much yeah, yeah. I mean it's no. something that you know literally every team one player does that before a game Jay Comfrey hashtagasm didn't yeah, he yeah yeah <laughs> so, sorry I missed this the BT cameras picked up in the warm-up James Milner uh, saying to the Liverpool players straight away as soon as we lose it there's bodies round it and then we play out that area right everything we do hates tempo today no matter what who scores, we score, they score. We lift it again, eh? Jake tweeted it like it was Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, I, I Milner, who was really... inspired, no doubt, by his own words, then pulled off one of the, the season's great goal line clearances. Yeah, and it made me think he needs to get some love because he's it's 17 years since he made his debut and bar a six-game loan at Swindon that's all been in the Premier League. And I went to Swindon. Yeah, on loan, yeah, from, from Leeds in his second season, 0203. But think how long he's been playing in the Premier League. That's the dream is, the dream is, uh, and I say this dreaming very much in inverted commas for my club loyalty, but Leeds going up and him going to Leeds next season for a season in the Premier League would be really nice, I think. Mo Salah uh, made his 100th Premier League appearance for Liverpool and scored his 70th goal, which, as you've probably read, is the most any Liverpool player has registered in a century of league matches. Outside of Liverpool, by the way, there's only one player who has scored more goals in his first 100 games, and that is, of course, Alan Shearer. Mo's got 70. Shearer did 79. Woof. Uh, Jordan Henderson back training, I think. He was due to be back training this weekend with a view to being available for the Atletico Madrid game. Somebody tweeted us asking for a player of the year shouts, and I think his absence has kind of strengthened his claim to be player of the year in, in the last couple of weeks. Atletico Madrid, by the way, this weekend only managed a 2-2 draw with Sevilla. We'll hear more about that and their preparations and prospects for the Champions League and, of course, all the other Euro ties and news from the games that actually did manage to go ahead on the continent. In Tuesday's edition of the Totally Football Show, which, as you know, probably has a bit of a European flavour. Up next here on this one, we're going to go and look at Saturday's action, which was, Duncan Alexander suggests, the most wasteful day ever recorded in the Premier League. Listeners, as you well know, this is the part of the show when you usually hear an advert for something like razors, beer, mattresses, little blue pills, or quite possibly even something to do with gambling. Now, these adverts mean, of course, that we can keep giving you this show for free. So what would be really helpful for us is if you can please head on over to thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. There you will indeed find a survey that we've put together with our friends at Audioboom and it's all about the sort of things you like so that we can get the right companies advertising to you. It'll take five minutes and we won't share your data with anyone. We just need an email address to let you know if you're one of the lucky winners of a £50 Amazon voucher. So help us to help you over at thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. You could even do it while you listen to this next bit. 
on Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. That's right, listener. XG 18.6 goals 9. Apparently that is the biggest gap that a set of matches has ever had in the since Duncan bothered compiling these <laughs> yeah. stats. 2013. Football didn't start in 2013, did right. it? <laughs> but uh, ever recorded, I guess. Not that ever happened, but ever recorded, I guess. That's the... That's the kind of get out there. But uh, did it feel wasteful watching it Saturday? Felt very low wattage in terms of a day of Premier League action. Yeah, it was uh, quite underwhelming all okay. around. But well, not let, let's talk a, about it anyway. Not I mean. if you're a Newcastle <laughs> fan, though. Hey, Matt, because of the bottom seven, and Villa still have to play, they're going to be at Leicester Monday night. Uh, Newcastle were the only team to win. Uh, you don't sound excited about that. Oh, I was. I thought they Bruce he was on cracking form. Loved it, yeah. They scored their first league goal in over a month. <laughs> nice goal as well. Yeah. They had a penalty that was saved by uh, Alex McCarthy, who had a great game for Saints. And then after almost five games without a goal in the league, Sam Maximan turned on the afterburners. Michael, you're a big St. Maximan fan. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is now, aren't they? I can't imagine mm. anyone not liking him. He's fun. Good celebration here, I thought. And yeah, he's just, you know, he's direct and maybe should score more goals. You can say the same of pretty much every Newcastle attacker. But uh, yeah, they were good. I, I quite like watching Dwight Gale in this game. He's a funny yeah. player. His finishing isn't, well, it wasn't great in this game, but his movement's excellent. I mean, the runs he makes is just really enjoyable to watch. I think he's certainly a better option than Joe Ellington, who's who's just struggled to, struggled to impact games at all, I think. Should be said, Bruce is... Um... You know, I've criticised him a lot on the show this season, but he, he, the formation changes really helped Newcastle. He's gone from the back five. He did it before the Burnley game, which they drew nil nil. But I think in their last two Premier League games, they created something like thirteen percent of their, or had thirteen percent of their shots for the season in the last two games. Wow! Because they've just, they've just, they've gone with a four four one one or forty three one or whatever. But basically, getting in Almiron closer to a striker, and obviously Sam Maximan on the wing and. Yeah, they, they do look better for it. They really do. Right. And Shelby in as well. Yeah, so Shelby is one of those two who has signed a new deal this week as well. So okay. sticking around looks like. Nice. Which is probably it... sounds like Bruce will keep his job over the summer and he take over dependent because he's clearly calling the shots on those those deals. Mm, interesting. Uh, if you're not all fired up for Newcastle, Matt, how do you feel about Crystal Palace where there's a brand new contract for Roy Hodgson and... Three wins and three clean sheets in a row. And, oh my word, they're only four points off Europe. Ruthlessly efficient, I would class them as. Um, They've only scored more than once in a game, once in 2020. And bizarrely, that was at Manchester City in a 2-2 draw. But yeah, three three wins in a row, as you say. I remember, it feels like a couple of weeks ago, saying "Mm, Palace might get dragged towards relegation, but just goes to show what what a couple of sort of... Shows you can't pick relegation teams, doesn't it? Well... (laughs) Maybe they were. Yeah. I say four points. So, oh, yeah, no, they're whopping 12 points off the drop. So, yeah, three big. I mean, Gary Cale's been a great signing for them, but um, I know that Daniel's a big Jordan Ayew guy. And um, yeah, he's got his best ever Premier League goals total with what, 10 games of the season there? Mm. Yeah, he's, he's scored eight goals and they've been worth. This is a little bit of a false stat and I don't normally like it, but they've been worth 14 points to Palace. So he scored three winners and an equaliser already in 2020 in the league. And. He should never be there. You know, he should never be playing. They wanted Alexander Sorloth to be that guy. They wanted Christian Benteke to be that guy. They probably wanted Cenk Tosin in January to be that guy. Mm. They bought Ayu for two and a half million quid from Swansea last summer. And he's scored eight goals and will keep them in the Premier League. So fair play to him. 
I think Benteke's done all right as yeah. well in recent weeks. I mean, his back-to-goal work's been excellent. He, he doesn't score many goals, we know that. But I think he's actually helped to bring out the best from AU. And, and Zaha, who almost feels like, you know, slightly more peripheral than he was. I mean, last season he said if they lose Zaha, they'll really struggle. But looks a bit more cohesive in terms of their attacking, albeit that, you know, that attacking isn't particularly prolific. But uh, I think they're a really good side, Palace. Well organised and they've got lots of... Quite underrated players. I really like uh, James MacArthur. I think he's really, really good midfielder. I get confused by James MacArthur because he's from that kind of miasma of MacArthur, McCarthy. Mm. There's always in the Premier League a confusing number of players with a similar. <laughs> well, they play name for the same team, Ill. don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the in third, the same position. For the third time, they've been yeah. in the same team as well. So, which one is he? The good the, one. The, yeah, the one okay. who doesn't is not as injury prone as the other one might, All right. might be a charitable There's way. no tinge of ginger in his hair and there is a tinge of ginger in James McCarthy's. Okay. Uh, Watford aren't doing very well, are they? You know, that, that Liverpool win feels like a bit of an aberration. One winning seven for, oh. for Watford and it's all, um, it's all looking a bit dicey for them, I well, think. Yeah. Only at the relegation zone on goal difference. Yeah, and Villa, who are down in there, have two games in hand on them, so... Mm. Uh, Ricardo Mantio says has the job Hodgson has done at Palace perhaps been less recognised than the Deiches and Wilders of this world would you say yeah he took over when they'd lost the first four games of the season and seemed to be going in a completely different direction under Frank de Boer and you know kept them up has turned it around and yeah now you're they're looking up the table rather than looking over their shoulders mm. so he's done a great job I mean for him to I know his age is mentioned a lot and it kind of gets a bit tedious, but it's, I think he's a really impressive guy, you know, that he can relate to, you know, players in their early 20s. We talk about someone like Jose Mourinho, who's, who now seems kind of out of touch with how you speak to players. I don't think Hodgson has that problem at all. Sometimes you'll give him stick for, you know, defensive tactics or whatever, but he seems to be able to get through to players. And, you know, there was a good interview with Cahill, I thought, on Match of the Day, where he was talking about how much, you know, they enjoy working under him. And, yeah, I think it's a great story back at his, his first ever club at the age of 72. I think it's brilliant. Uh, Ed Quoth Raven wants to mention his age as well. Can it be acknowledged that the Premier League potentially barring over 70-year-olds from attending games means Palace could be without their manager? Right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, th- I think they might find an exception. Right. <laughs> but that is that is genuinely one of the ideas that's being floated for... Yeah, uh, there will be a meeting on Monday to discuss where the Premier League moves forward. I, I personally cannot fathom why either if there's even a case of football playing a role in spreading the disease why how on earth you can ever let fans in or even play the games if that's an issue this is you know i love football and it is thankfully my livelihood but there are some things that are bigger than football and the spread of a pandemic would seem to be one of them but yeah obviously it's not my call but i suspect they'll try and muddle on a little bit but yeah over 70s banning i don't get that because those over 70s don't go to the game but then presumably meet the people that have gone to the game and picked up the virus so it's an odd one do, i mean i don't want to be flippant about it because it's a serious situation but do we have to take id along oh, seriously, yeah, seriously yeah. Just, yeah, a you know point, you'd, you'd be, yeah. imagine if you're like 50 and you get id'd going into a game because you're suspected to be over 70 that'd Damn. be that'd be difficult <laughs> right i'm moving on <laughs> <laughs> uh, sheffield united beat norwich 1-0 billy sharp with his third goal in four games dean henderson at the other end shutting down the canaries incredible series of saves from dean england's number one as they Is keep he? chanting Is he now, i think he's got his well potentially going back to our last point what could scupper him is that if England's friendlies in March are postponed, mm. which the Italy one surely must be in huge doubt, right. that might well do for him because I don't think Gareth Southgate would start him in the first game of a major tournament fresh. He might start him in the friendlies and that, and he might play his way into the team. So that could be a deciding factor. But he's definitely the English goalkeeper in the best form, I think. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah, the argument is, well, Pickford's better at playing out from the back in England, like to play that way. But I'd always rather my goalkeeper was the best at making saves available to me than do anything else. Um, but Sheffield United, you know, Chris Wilder said after the game, maybe we're not the underdogs anymore. Maybe it's not a surprise. But it's worth reiterating that the only teams who have beaten them in 2020 are Liverpool and Manchester City. And, you know, they played a team who they came up with here. And the contrast in the two seasons that they've had is stark. Just on that distribution point, a funny stat is that the two players in the Premier League with the worst pass completion rates are Henderson and Pope. So, you know, obviously it's going to be goalkeepers, but it does underline the fact that, you know, if if, if distribution's an issue, you're going to two goalkeepers who are just used to hoofing it long by and large. Mm. So it is a bit of an issue. But mm. is that not a consequence of the style that their team play as much as it is their ability to pass? Absolutely, but it means for 38 games, you know, they're just not playing the right style. And I think that is a... You know, a slight issue. I think Pickford's distribution is maybe a bit overrated, actually. I think uh, it can look good on highlights, but sometimes when you watch a 90-minute game, it just gives the ball away quite a lot. But the style of his kick looks cool, doesn't it? Oh, That's absolutely, yeah, yeah. Wolves, the other Premier League game this weekend, a goalless draw between Wolves and Brighton. Uh, only two shots on target in the whole match, actually, one for each side. Brighton remain the only Premier League team yet to win in 2020. Uh, Wolves, meanwhile... We'll take their disappointment and bag it up and head off to Greece where they will be taking on Arsenal slaying Olympiakos. Without any of their 1,100 fans that have bought tickets because that one's been confirmed as no away fans. Oh, really? Yes, um, which has understandably caused some angst amongst Wolves supporters who have already paid for travel and tickets. And, right. Yeah. And presumably this, there's a similar possibility for all the midweek European games. Yeah, I think so. As I say, there should be this is bigger than football and you can't just go, well, we'll put it on. It's like this handshake thing. You can't just, it's not like a virus gets scared if you put on a little show at the start of the game and then goes, all right, we won't bother affecting anyone in there. Mm. I just, I can't believe that football is still sort of carrying on as normal. I do fear how some of these seasons are going to be sorted out, mm. you know, especially in Italy where, the, you know, the, it's not the major issue, obviously, but when you marry it with uh, comments from Agnelli earlier in the week, you know, who was who was talking about basically like how big clubs deserve to get what they want. If this season's suspended with ten games left, I don't know. There's going to be some very difficult decisions to make, and I don't really trust football to to do things fairly. Sadly, mm. on, on Wolves, by the way, in this game, they're the big losers in terms of the Champions League chases this weekend, aren't they? Because that Brighton at home, if you're going for the top four, is a game that that you should win with something to spare, not draw nil-nil. And when Sheffield United and Chelsea and Man United and even Arsenal all pick up wins, that's that's really is two drop points. That Champions League chasing situation, by the way, if you take it from Leicester, who are in third but have still to play from this round, they are now just two points ahead of Chelsea in fourth and only five points ahead of Manchester United, which is still a margin, but, you know, it's not entirely a comfortable one given the run of form they've been on and then from Manchester United in fifth which is probably Champions League down to Arsenal in ninth you've got United Wolves Sheffield United Spurs and then the Gunners all within five points so you know that's where your excitement lies at this point no yeah relegation is fairly exciting too but yeah I think too exciting it would be more exciting if we knew if it was fourth or fifth that was going to get you in the Champions League so if we can get you know, cast to, to hurry up a little bit, that would be tremendously helpful. Mm. Any idea on when those hearings are going to take place? It will be after the end of the season, I would imagine. So it will cause a really weird 
uh, mood, let's say Wolves or Sheffield United even finish fifth, mm. um, they can't go out and buy players preparing for Champions League football because they don't really know if they'll be in it or not. Right. Well, in a second or two, we're going to wrap up with uh, lots of uh, Football League news, dramatic tales of Coventry and Leeds, and uh, some other stuff as well. Right now, though, let's get some odds from producer Ben, who's talking to Paddy Power. A very good morning to you listeners. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power because, you know, that's how we roll. Lee, there's a big game on Wednesday night. It's Man City versus Arsenal, the Mikel Arteta derby. What's going to happen here, please? Yeah, I suppose it is quite a big game for Arsenal and Arteta at least. Uh, Mikel Arteta going back to have a look at the silverware he could have won while Arsenal try and maintain their hunt for Champions League qualification having bottled the Europa League. Bit harsh, maybe. The odds don't paint a positive picture, though. Arsenal are quite extraordinary, 8-1 to one to win this game. And even the draw is 4-1, to one, while Man City are comprehensive 2-7 to seven favourites. We think we know how this one's going. As we've been discussing at length, the Champions League returns, of course. What are the odds, please, on Liverpool and Spurs, last year's two finalists, going out at this stage? Hmm, it's more difficult to back Tottenham this one than it is for Jose Mourinho to back Tangai and Dombele. We make it 1-7 to seven they go out, which is an implied probability of 87.5%. Even that seems generous to Spurs to me at this stage. We give Liverpool a better chance, obviously, they were the best team in history until recently. They're odds-on to beat Atletico at Anfield, but we still make the Spanish club favourites to progress at 3-4. to four. So stick that together with Leipzig progressing and you can get evens on both English teams being knocked out. And finally, Wolves in the Europa League. Can they get something at Greece when they take on Olympiakos on Thursday? This is incredibly tight in terms of the betting on the night. We give Olympiakos the edge, but only by something like 1%. It's going to be really, really close. The Greek side are 13-8 to to win the first leg and the draw is priced at 2-1. to a Wolves win away from home, and that's a phrase I've heard a lot over the last two seasons. You can get odds of 17 to 10 on that. And we do make Nuno's men favourites to go through. They're 1 to 2 to progress. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Mark Davison. Ooh, here's one to spring on you. I suspect this might be a... Uh, Duncan Alexander special. Uh, Mark Davison would like stats for short corners because, says Mark, I've never seen a goal from one and yet teams still do them. So it must work sometimes or you wouldn't do them. Yeah. What do you think? There was, there was a, no, yeah. No, I mean, there was a really good video going around yesterday of a brilliant one from Polish top flight, I think, that was a brilliant passing move. I mean... How did that one work? What was the setup there? It was basically a very intricate passing move involving four players, I think, and working the ball into a good position. I mean, I understand they are frustrating. I think City played a couple of really dreadful ones today where, you know, they just work it to a position 30 yards out and then cross it from there, which doesn't seem to help anyone. But uh, So yeah. what's the appeal of them? Well, the idea is you don't actually score. The point is you don't actually score very many from corners delivered into the box. Right. So by taking it to open play, the club feel like they can have more control over the move I guess you can um, quite often create a better angle for a cross can't yeah. you? If, you if you just if the corner taker plays it short to somebody and then moves into a position where they're more level with the edge of the penalty area you've got a better angle to to pick somebody out but they are as supporters they are frustrating because they always don't seem to end well but then how many times do you see a corner hit the first man when it's sent in yeah. direct and that's just as frustrating I think yeah. as a supporter it's almost like you want the half second of excitement that something mm. might be about to happen as the much ball as the hangs goal. in the air yeah yeah uh, Matt, you're hosting the Totally Football League show. 
Sure am. On Wednesday, all sorts to talk about there. Uh, Forest hosting Millwall. That was on Friday, wasn't it? Somebody scored a 13-minute hat-trick. So Yeah, good thing about hosting is you've got a little bit of editorial control over it, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that won't feature. I mean, Friday, we're recording the show on Wednesday. It'll be old news by then. So, um, yeah, that, that won't be in. But we will probably be talking about Leeds, who are back at the top of the championship. They'll be right. in this field. That's because West Brom drew at Swansea. Brentford, mm. the other big winners in the promotion race. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 5-0. When Brentford are good... They are sensational. If they come up into the Premier League next year, it'd be a great story in their new stadium, but they yeah. play a really, really nice style they of football. five, and Watkins and Benrahma didn't score any of them, which is... They, they do share the goals around nicely. Mm. Big win for um, Middlesbrough. Jonathan Woodgate been under a lot of pressure. One at Charlton to send Charlton into the bottom three, mm. uh, with Borough moving out. And actually, all three promoted teams from League One are in the relegation places now, which is kind of bit of a shame right. really I uh, guess further down in League One uh, Adam Etheridge would like to know what on earth is happening at Coventry City is this asked Adam one of the signs of the forthcoming apocalypse <laughs> uh, well I mean I think Mark Robbins is one of the most underrated managers in the EFL I think he's right. done a really good job wherever he's been but this is an extraordinary situation that, you know Coventry have been this horrible club to, to observe from the outside everything that's happened to them in the last few years this row they got with the owners right? Um, they're not playing in their own stadium this season this is second time in recent memory that's happened they played at Northampton for a whole season now they're at St Andrews which is 34 miles I think away uh, from Coventry and yet they're seven points clear at the top of League One they're 14 games unbeaten they've got some really good players like Matt Gordon who's a Totally Football League show uh, favourite and, and in a a race below them, which is so so tight uh, in League One, there are three points between second and eighth in that division. Wow. Um, and Coventry, who effectively don't play home games, have managed to pull themselves clear at the top. And the background to this, seven points clear at the top now? Yes. The background to this is that it's a half a century since Coventry have managed to finish in the top five of their division. Just an extraordinary 50-year run of never being in there. And that's finally going to end. And I mean, they've been in League Two in recent times as well. And, you know, viewers of Premier League years will enjoy Coventry as that sort of early 90s team who, who picked up some good results. They had a great team at you know, time with like Darren Huckabee and Gary McAllister and, and players like that. So to see them in the state that they are in off the pitch is, is saddening. But the, what they're doing in League One under a, who I think is a brilliant football league manager is... Um, is Kind of heartening, but you don't want it to be, well, they've done all this work, got promoted, and then they're still not playing in their own ground next season. There's got to be some way to sort that out because their ground is a good championship ground. You know, the Rico Arena, it's a fairly new, what, 10, 15 years old, so, something like that. How could that be resolved? <laughs> they need new owners, essentially. Yeah, I think the club would need to be sold for that to be ironed out, basically. Because the uh, the owner of the arena won't allow the, so the, I, I, this is a very simplified version but effectively the club the owners of the club Sisu have fallen out spectacularly with the owners of the stadium which right. is London Wasps uh, rugby club and the relationship has broken down so badly that it doesn't look like there'll be an agreement when Richard Keyes is criticising somebody else's behaviour and he's right there's a problem you can leave that bit in <laughs> <laughs> anyway all of that and much more some more, the, yeah, yeah. And some more yeah. in the Totally Football <laughs> League show on Wednesday. As I mentioned, Tuesday's Totally Football show will also feature, well, will essentially be all about European football, what's happening with the midweek games, what's the situation with the leagues. Also, things like the Copa del Rey, which is going to have its first all-Basque final. Uh, well, the first one, rather, for 93 years. Real Sociedad and Athletic Bilbao. We're going to be facing each other. Alvaro is going to be very excited about that. It's big 
Athletic fan. Uh, PSG, well, their game against Strasbourg was the first one in Ligue 1 to be called off uh, because of the coronavirus. Other games in Ligue 1 did go ahead. Julien will be telling us all about that. And uh, finally, they, they, they played uh, the Derby d'Italia Sunday night in Italy. We'll reveal all in Tuesday's show. Excellent. Well, that's uh, kind of it for today's Totally Football Show. More on the way, as we mentioned. Michael, have you got a busy week lined up? Which fixture most has you counting the hours? Uh, I'm looking forward to Liverpool Atletico. Yeah. I think that'd be really interesting to see how Liverpool go about things, see Atletico's level of attacking threat in a game where obviously a clean sheet takes them through, but just one goal really makes Liverpool's life very difficult. So, yeah, that's the one I'm up for. Excellent. All right, Daniel, you'll be across it all. We can follow your thoughts in the eye. One in the eye and uh, etc. etc. And Matt, you'll be talking all over loads of it, probably. Yeah, not too much this week, actually. Bit no. of a bit of a relaxed week this week, but nice. yeah, do do join us on Wednesday. Absolutely. All right, super. You have a, a relaxed week yourself, listener, and uh, catch up with you maybe tomorrow if you feel like it. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. I'm Andrew Slavin from the Totally Scottish Football Show and I'm here to tell you why you should be listening to our Scottish show. Number one, it's full of insightful knowledge on Scottish football like this. It looks to me as though they've spent all their time working on things in training. We go on the pitch and then you just forget it, which happens with players who aren't very good. Number two, it's got Georgie Hatch's son. Number three, we get to talk about the spaghetti had. Look into it, you should. Anyway, you'll find us every Tuesday morning ready to inform you on the greatest league in world football. Just search for the Totally Scottish Football Show and we'll be there every Tuesday. Muddy News Media.